This is Recovery Revolution Live. The episode you're about to listen to is live and unedited. If you'd like to join us on the live stream, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube. Facebook.com slash Recovery Revolution 100 or search Recovery Revolution Live on YouTube. All right. <laughs> what do you think of this music, Ashley? I could I could get used to this one. Okay, okay. It's pretty slick. I like it. Best one so far. <laughs> we, we've been playing a game where I play different intro music every week, and we try to find out what kind of music Ashley likes because she won't. And she it. always hates it. She, she always hates, hates it. Every song I picked so far. So. We're Don't moving in the right yet. direction. <laughs> All right. We have a very special guest tonight, Dr. Narain. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you all for having me here today. It's Narain. <laughs> I wrote Narain. I've been used to Narain my entire life, so <sighs> I answer to Narain as well. But yeah, if we're going off... What it's supposed to be called is Narine, yes. I even wrote I wrote Jeez. like a phonetical Jeez. thing down. And you fire did? me, okay. please. <laughs> it's all right, buddy. Uh, pleasure to meet you, John. Pleasure, pleasure. It's pleasure nice as to well. meet you. I think it's cute you tried so hard, though. You should get points for that. You, he wrote it down like he really did try. So that's I really cool. That's better than yeah. getting just, it right almost. I just don't know how to read. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So, Dr. Narayan, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what brought you here tonight? Sure. Um, so, my name is John, you know, for short. And for most of my life, I struggled with drugs and alcohol. You know, I remember always feeling like I didn't belong or I didn't fit in. You know, like the more people tried to love me, my family tried to love me and accept me, the more I just pushed them away or, you know, because I truly believed like that I was just unlovable, that I was just unwanted, you know, and I tried to run away from that feeling the best that I could. I went to live across the country and live, stayed with some friends and um, tried to get sober and that didn't work. And then I thought, let me go back and live with my parents and you know see if I could fix things with them and try to get sober there and that didn't work um and then the pandemic hit you know and it hit everybody really hard and you know the news so many news articles have written that alcohol sales went up right drug use went up well that was true for me as well you know everything hit the fan when the pandemic hit and all of a sudden I had to grow up quickly. You know, I was about to lose everything. I had one of my dream jobs finally. I was about to lose that. I had an apartment. I was about to lose that. I had money in the bank for the first time. I was about to lose that all because drugs and alcohol became the most important thing in my life. You know, and I I made a decision to give it all up and see what it could be like to put recovery first for the first time in my life. And I got sober. I went back to school. I graduated and got my doctorate. And, you know, I studied 
what are workplaces doing to help someone like me, right? Because I was that employee that, you know, went to happy hour with everyone on Friday, but did not show up to work on Monday. And when I showed up on Tuesday, it was not as productive as I would be by Thursday, you know? Um, so, and that was that cycle I was in all the time until I was just missing work for the full week, you know? And, and I just wanted to know what, what were people doing to help someone like me and how were they able to do that and stay productive? Because right. everyone was struggling to stay productive during COVID. So dude, that I can, relate, I can relate to that. I've been there where he just, it was like, dude, I can't even be a decent employee anymore. What is going on with me? <laughs> right. Right. And there's this huge gap, like, that, that a lot of people don't realize that a lot of people in active addiction are actually working. It's, you know, there's a stigma that it's the homeless population that it's, but that's actually n not the majority of people in active addiction. Most people are working and, and trying to manage and you can't just quit your job and go to treatment all the time. Like it'd be great if you could, but you know, like your families depend on you. So there's like this huge gap to be talking about it in the workplace is so important. And I think it also puts like, there's this like, I'm a girl. So, you know, we talk about this glass ceiling, you know, yeah. and stuff. So even in recovery, it's almost like a lot of people believe there's like a glass ceiling. You can only work in this field or you can only do this because you're right. past by going and, and showing that recovery is possible in the workplace that mm -hmm. that gives hope to others that that there's options they can have whatever life they want it doesn't have to be in a certain field right you know so there's two statistics um in, in regards to what you're saying first is out of everyone who is in active addiction 75 percent of that population works right is in the workforce but if we're looking at the workforce itself one in 12 workers are said to have an addiction, right? Whether that be alcoholism or substance use or whatever addiction it may be, that's one in 12 workers, you know, and it doesn't discriminate to any particular industry as you just mentioned, or any type of position within the company. This could be a frontline worker all the way up to a C-level executive. You know, I worked in law firms for most of my life. And if you go into any attorney's office, there is usually a wine bottle or a hard liquor bottle just mounted on one of their shelves. <laughs> you know, it's it was really the culture of many of the places I worked in that drinking was the norm. Getting drunk with the client was the norm. Coming to work hungover was the norm. It's just that I started to experience consequences a little bit more than everybody else I worked with. Mm. Well, I, I think... Yeah, we all have the consequences at different times. And so, you know, I was in active addiction for eight years. I probably didn't get really bad until the last, well, I mean, there's a couple times. But I mean, I was, I worked the whole time and was functional. So I'm, there's a lot of people out there. And I'm going to ask a fun fact. So, Jason, Jason, what do you, what's the number one industry for substance use disorder? Uh, I would, almost venture to say restaurant industry the service industry no then construction, construction industrial construction. Yep. 
But Why dude, that's such it? a broad term, though. So that shouldn't even count. And it's CEOs so many different. Are twice as likely to have a substance it, use disorder than the average. So, so many different worker. jobs fall under that that category. The way that you worded it, though. Well, you know saying. why though? It's because um, men traditionally don't talk about their feelings, so numbing is common. Also, being away from home and stresses, um, and the work is hard on their bodies. So. Yeah. Lots of reasons to self-medicate. That if you look at the amount of opiates that are prescribed for people in the construction industry compared to the normal population, it's crazy. Oh, I can believe that. Yeah, Google it sometime. I think the stats are one in six workers there or one in four, something like that, um, in the construction industry, which is, I mean, that's such a high statistic, you know? I remember I have a room, uh, a roommate that was telling me, um, you know, a lot of the workers that he used to work with in the construction industry would call their spouses, whoever that is, just to speak to them before they go to work. Because, you know, in certain types of jobs, they didn't know if they would make it home that night. Imagine that type of stress all the time. I mean, yeah. for me, uh, I would love to change how I feel by using a substance, you know, if that's the way I felt all the time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and so in construction, there's the big five, right? You know about the big five, Jason? No. Give, us a, hint, give us a hint in what direction the big five, like, what are you referring to? OSHA and safe. So the, the five deadly, you know, safety things like. Ooh, 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 ooh. I feel like I should get this because I do have. I have more my OSHA people, 30. More people die from substance use disorder and from suicide in the construction industry than the big five combined. Okay. Are you going to let us guess the big five? I'm not a safety director. I I, I don't. I, I'll, I'll Google it. Me neither. Five are. That's why I'm like, why are you signaling me out, man? Like, well, I'm an expert. It's an OSHA thing. Aren't you certified in OSHA? No. I'm. I'm a traffic control coordinator specialist. I'm not, yeah, no. No OSHA. OSHA Everyone comes and checks my stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not in oh, So what's the big five? I'll tell you. Hold on just a second. Give me a minute. I want to oh, guess. Yeah, I want to guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, guess. I have Get, my OSHA guess. 30. Um, we'll guess and see One right. of the five is going to be falls. Yeah. Falls. Um, probably electrocution. Um, maybe something to do with dehydration. Uh, five. Maybe get run over by a machine. Or <laughs> get your head smashed with a beam. That's my two picks. <laughs> oh, Michael Paddleford is saying power tool accidents. Ooh. I never heard of the big five. This, would be... <laughs> this is why you shouldn't do construction and get high at the same time. Yeah, I agree with that statement. <laughs> I agree with that. What you got, Ashley? You got the big five? Um, <laughs> overexertion. It tops the list. Um, 
20% of all disabling injuries are from overexertion. So pulling, lifting, and carrying push or pushing are all tasks that lead to overexertion. All right, we're not going to do all that. Um, the next one, Ooh. struck by objects. Um, so windborne or falling debris or materials when equipment malfunctions during use. So that's number two. Number Thanks. three is falls from heights. So I think Brett said that. So ding, 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 or whoever said, I'm sorry. I think Stephanie wrote a comment here. Yep. Trips, slips, and falls, being stuck by or caught in moving machinery, vehicle-related accidents, fire and explosions, repetitive stress, and over you said overexertion. Thanks, Stephanie. Yeah, oh, thank you, Stephanie. Vehicle. That one that should have been obvious. So what was it what were you saying again? More people die from what than all of this? Is it from substance Substance use disorder and suicide. Overdoses and suicides. Then from tripping or falling. So, I mean, if it's like, you know, corrosive to the liver, I'm sure that counts. But, (coughs) yeah. So, more people die from substance use disorder and suicide in in a year than from the big five combined. That's really interesting. I mean, that's a really interesting point and really important point, you know. So... It kind of is important. So part of the work I do right now, I'm a consultant for the Colorado's first recovery-friendly workplace initiative where um, we are looking to help businesses you know, become a workplace that really values and supports employees in recovery, whether they're struggling with addiction, trying to enter recovery, or they're in recovery, just trying to maintain their recovery. And you know, for the construction industry, if a lot of my workers are, you know, struggling or or because of substance use over these five things, you know, that might be something I want to look at and really invest in to, I mean, the point is to keep my employees healthy and productive because with healthy and productive employees, I as the employer benefit as well, right? Right? The company makes money, you know, my employees are happy. That's good business. So it's, re- well, it's really interesting that you brought out that point. And they drive heavy machinery. Do you really want somebody that's... I mean, know, no, that, that just goes mind. without say there. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, safety-wise, it's, you know, that's the greatest point for recovery-friendly workplaces in construction. It doesn't mean that you're saying it's okay to use drugs in the workplace. It doesn't mean that you're saying that you're not a drug-free workplace and recovery-friendly. It means that you you notice the signs, you get people help mm-hmm. yeah. so that they're not in the workplace causing danger right. to themselves and others. Right. And you give them another chance, possibly if that's in your policy, once they found recovery and once they're in a healthy, stable place to reduce barriers later. Right. You know, recovery-friendly workplace is not saying all your employees need to be sober. No, right. that's not what we're saying at all. Because, I mean, as you guys probably already know, there's many pathways to recovery, yeah. harm reduction, you know, medicated assistant treatment, um, complete abstinence, whatever the case may be, you know, yeah. and we're not saying that, you know, your employees can't go out to happy hour if they want to go out or do whatever they do at home. But what we're saying is if there's a pattern of coming to work and there is unproductivity or disruption to the workplace, 
because of substance use, well, this toolkit can help you figure out how do we keep the workplace productive? How do we keep our employees healthy? Mm -hmm. Well, and plus then they give people a chance, you know, they, they sometimes will partner with organizations, you know, treatments or, uh, mm -hmm. you know, follow-up care facilities, you know, sober homes or whatever the case may be and offer jobs to people that are in early recovery to offer them a safe space where they can work, where they can feel understood and accepted mm -hmm. and, and where they can receive the supports that they need, not only in the real world, but when they're at work also, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I would love to see peer services expand more into the workplace. Like if you have say, you know, Jason, you're in construction, you're in long-term recovery. If somebody that's looking for a job and newer in recovery, peering them up with you, you make a little mm -hmm. bit more because you're a certified peer, but it's also, you know, a benefit for that person because they know that they can talk to you. They also know, mm -hmm. you know, like say the group of, of work, you know, coworkers is going out drinking. You might be going to a meeting or you might be going to the movies. You could invite that coworker yeah. to an activity so they don't feel triggered. Um, it's also just, you know, it's easier to do something when you're not alone. So the benefit of having somebody that's been through that to know how hard it is to start working again, to know, you know, how to ask your boss for time off because you need to, to go, you know, see whichever specialist, a therapist or, mm -hmm. you know, IOP, whatever the situation is, having someone that knows how to navigate that. And it's just, it's good business. Yeah. Well, I think that would be awesome because, I mean, the way I am, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I always, yeah. you know, everybody knows that I'm in recovery and and that I do this and that I do the way out podcast. And I do, you know, everybody knows this stuff. So I already do give them peer support, you know what I mean, at work uh, and hard hard nuggets of truth sometimes i mean let's be real you know some people think oh here's somebody that i can just like verbally diarrhea on all the time and then go and keep doing the same stupid shit that i do and i'll be like look you know i'm not gonna sit right on the sideline and watch you do this to yourself and have to like experience it all with you all the time if you're not trying to like change anything but mm -hmm. i've rarely have to say that because typically they either realize that like they are not ready to change and then they stop coming to me for advice or for support or they fucking find the support helpful and they start making actions towards meaningful change you know but i do that anyway so if i could get a pay hike for that and have a, a cool sounding title that'd be sweet <laughs> we're planning we talk about planting seeds all the time and it might not you know catch right. the first time think about if we had peers in every industry in the police stations in the corrections in schools in the doctor's offices in the hospitals if we had people with lived experience helping other people with lived experience like we wouldn't be in the situation in this country that we're in right now right we're we don't have a system that's built for recovery and uh, i mean unfortunately i you know just going back to school i realized that you know there's business school <laughs> everyone goes out drinking if you're in recovery like it's a hard you know thing to find i mean even the workplace is hard for recovery there's 
alcohol at all, almost all corporate events. And that's fine. But some people it's really triggering for. And it's also hard to, you know, I think, hey, you can have my drink ticket when we go to the expo, like, and I'll be the DD. Like, I would think I'd be a fun guest, but I'm not really that fun first. They would rather somebody do it with them. So that makes it hard. Yeah. You know, what you're mentioning about lived experience, it's funny because I, I also wrote a book, you know, called Leading Workplace Addiction. And it's also the base text for the nonprofit. You have it right there. Yes. The nonprofit um, that I founded, Recovery Friendly Leader. And one of the strategies that I talk about in the book is um, how leaders are utilizing lived experience as a resource that they can um used to to support these employees in recovery you know there are so many people who have this experience of what it's like already and they're so willing to share it and they're willing to do it for free as well right um use it it is valuable valuable information you know i found that many managers are a lot of people who are not in recovery and our managers are just relating to some of their employees through struggles of life you know sharing what it's like to struggle as a single mother for example or maybe with some other type of mental disorder or physical disorder and just what they did to navigate through that or they're actually asking peer support specialists or people with lived experience in recovery hey i have this employee you know keeping some anonymity confidentiality obviously but what did you do right can you help me learn um, what I can do to help this employee because you have the experience, experience, you know, about what it's someone who's been through it before. I mean, there's really no replacement for that when you're trying to connect with someone. Sure. And being vulnerable is like the biggest leadership skill they're teaching right now. And, you know, so I, I guess we can transition that into, I remember when I first started talking to you about your book, there was, you know, when you shared your story and you said you're you were nervous about it because it was really the first time you had like publicly shared it. How how has that been for you and how how do you feel now? It's been a couple months. Oh, I'm still nervous. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm still nervous, but you know, I'm I think uh, I'm getting a little more used to it, you know, just sharing this is who I am. It's funny, you know, it used to be sharing with strangers was easy for me. You know, I would just shut off my feelings and vomit whatever honesty and, and tell you anything because I would never have to see you again. But, <laughs> you know, having my family back in my life now after yeah. doing some of this work and yes. and rebuilding relationships that I've broken before and still doing it today... Yeah. Um, there is a new meaning to vulnerability and being able to share that with them and they actually heard me right and they're not judging me by it anymore they're 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 listening they're they're just they're hearing what i'm saying i mean it's it's a feeling that number one i never thought i deserved or could ever get but um, I think that was the most amazing part of sharing my story is, is sharing it with my family. Amen. Brother. I mean, they, they've Amen. seen it, you know, they've been through it, but be able to say it to them and 
look in their eyes, it's it's just completely different. Well, yeah, because when they when they seen it, it they didn't understand, you know, what was going on with you. And even if you tried to explain it when you were in your active addiction, it would have been weird in in its in the way that it came out. You know, it would have came out sideways or whatever, or mm-hmm. with excuses or justifications or talk to them from the healed side of your perspective where you've already worked through that shit and you can see it, the reality of it not you're you know you, you wouldn't be telling them from you know behind your mask so to speak so dude mm-hmm. it is it's a beautiful thing brother and i'm i'm proud of you man and i think i need to buy a stack of your books for all the supervisory <laughs> team at because dude i work for uh like a nationwide multi-billion dollar corporation you know what i mean like there's they have offices all over the country and stuff and it it would be cool to plant maybe i could plant a seed with the upper management of minnesota and that could spread across the nation you know plant it i'd love that that will support them getting buying it Hell yeah. Yeah, I'd love it. All the proceeds from this book, by the way, go directly to fund the nonprofit. And the nonprofit is the training program for the book. So the more people that buy this book, the more I'm able to actually deliver this training to managers and supervisors. And the more funding I get, the more I can offer it at a low cost. Well, and you know what I heard? Awesome. By what you said and i just want to point this out before i forget like as you're describing how telling your story and your family are acting yeah. like the word that came to mind is belong like you felt like you belonged like and i know like me personally i always struggled with not feeling like i fit in and mm-hmm. you know and it's like finally we're able to tell our truth and just be who we are imperfect and and fit in and belong and that's that's so important important in life to feel included and and like you have a place and you know i think that that feeling is something anyone can identify with whether they have a substance use disorder or not everyone wants to belong yeah i mean just it's saying that statement i belong i mean that's such a strong statement you know it takes some real grounded understanding to be able to sit in that statement and actually live in that statement you know i've had I've had moments where, okay, I, I know that's true, but no is up here, right? For it to be in here, man, it takes a lot of work, a lot of work, and I'm still working on it. I'm still working on it. Today, I was at an event for Recovery Friendly Workplace, and what's the first thought? I don't belong here. What do you mean you don't belong? But that's where I go to still today. It's just, um, you know, it's something I still work on every single day. I belong. Imposter syndrome. Yeah. Like, sure. like I belong. Like the other day, it's just this weird thing. So I've been advocating for, you know, for an RCO to to start giving their employees a 401k. And everybody thought I was I was like ridiculous. Like they need more money. They need a bonus. And I'm like, and they didn't think that I understood. And I'm like, I, they, they, I guess they thought I forgot like where I came from. And I'm like, do you realize that when you're in recovery, like you just, there's legal fees or there's, you, you haven't planned. You didn't plan to live this long. You didn't plan to live a life like this. You no. The fact you have a 401k is exciting. It doesn't matter if it's got $10,000 or $5. It's sometimes oh, yeah. it's people's first time having a 401k. Like that's, 
that's more exciting than a thousand dollars in bank account. You're planning for retirement. You're planning to be alive to retire. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's a self-esteem thing. It's it. Mm -hmm. So, and, and they're like, awesome. and then when I said that they stopped and they're like, you're right. You do get it. Like we thought you were just trying to be like bougie businessy. And they're like, you were actually really trying to advocate for what would help build self-esteem and i'm like yeah so it's it made me feel like you know because normally you get pushback and they they treated me kind of like you really want us or we're a tiny organization you really want us to do 401ks <laughs> like and then they had like a financial planner come and talk to their you know program for moms and and the moms were like so interested in and that's when they started like listening to, well, maybe 401k is a good idea because these single moms were very interested. Well, I don't know if there are some, but the moms in recovery because um, we're so interested in financial planning. And I'm like, yeah, it's it's exciting to be able to plan for the future and to have hopes and dreams. Like that is so big for self-confidence. Right. It, it is like to plan for your future, to plan to be alive, right? That's what you're doing. You're planning to stay alive. Like the, so I belong, right? Comes from. Love it. Right. Uh, a whole lifetime. Well, prior lifetime of I don't belong. Right. I am not loved. And what is, what am I doing through my addiction? I'm reinforcing that statement. Right. And seeking, how can I just continue to show myself that that's true? Right. And eventually that just leads to death and wanting to die. Right. Wanting to show myself that I'm just not worthy of this life. So to now have moments, right, to feel like you belong. Well, first it started with finding someone else who also feels like they don't belong. Right. Because if I'm if I'm not relating with someone in that level, then that's also telling me I don't fit in because no one else feels like this. Right. It's just me. So finding someone else that that also felt that way once before, really, and then planning, you know, my future, it just not only sets in some life, but some gratitude of what it's like to live. I, I've never knew gratitude until, honestly, until all those negative things, I lived in those things. Today, like when some good things happen, I it definitely makes me pause for a second and be like wow thank you because i know what it's like now not to have that and i know that that could be taken away any second and how do you feel too if you like hear somebody else like say i'm advocating for you to have a 401k like i believe that you're gonna be in recovery too to retire and i believe that you know you're you know that and you're worth more than just a bonus is great, but it's, that's a short term thing, you know, like for, you know, you can match, you can do all kinds of stuff. It's like, I believe in you enough to want to fight for you to have that. Like that's the gift to give to somebody else too. And we don't always think about that stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Oh, you're going to make me cry now too. <laughs> that's all right, man. It's welcomed here. So tell me more about your book. What's your favorite part? My favorite part about my book is the, in my story, um, my family and I were on a cruise and we love food and we went to go eat, I think at the dine-in, like the sit-down dinner and my uncle and I wanted to see if 
the buffet upstairs had anything different. So we went upstairs and we ate more after everybody else. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's my, my favorite part of the book. Just that, that little part of my story. Um, um, I liked the part where you talked about like behaviors and normal behaviors versus, you know, like, and how you, you know, how you've had all of the behaviors, you know, like increased reliability, fatigue, faster burnouts, spurts of crying. Like, you know, I think. Oh, you're I, talking about, okay. Yes. Um, it's a strategy called recognizing relapse warning signs. And I was researching like, what are the warning signs that, you know, people say that people, you know, people with addiction have. And when I was reading them in my head, I'm going, yep, I did that. I did that. I did that. So I figured if I'm going to write it in the book, I might as well put the ones I actually did, which was all of them, by the way. And um, just really explain, you know, like, while these are common warning signs, like, you know, the fatigue, you know, showing up to work late or um, not being as productive, that's kind of general, right? Anybody can really exhibit those behaviors. But what we're looking for here is, is this a pattern? And is this different from this employee's normal behavior? Like, is he normally happy? Like, I'm, I'm normally smiling at work, right? I'm normally on time or early. I can be too talkative, right? But if I start to show up late, you know, I'm really short. And it's not just a day. It's becoming a pattern. Well, that might warrant you know, a check-in, is something going on? And then the conversation can go from there. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's so important that different things are different for everybody and different mm -hmm. times it's different. I mean, like somebody asked me once, I drink every night, like, and I, I've been drinking and I, do I have a problem? And I'm like, that's not really for me to say. Like, I don't know if, you know, like, maybe if you have a problem where, you're doing it for a re like to as a reaction or you need to do it to go to sleep or you aren't are grumpy if you don't do it or there's some kind of then maybe it's something you need to look into um but you know like there's normal looks different for everybody and okay looks different for everybody and the only person that knows is you and being honest with yourself but you're vulnerable enough to ask the question then maybe it's something to look at too yeah one of the one of the like golden rules i was taught early in recovery is that uh addict or an alcoholic or anybody who's addicted to any behavior they can only self-identify you can't go and tell them that you know they're a porn addict or you know <laughs> whatever right. they right. have to they have to have that moment of clarity and realize that it's an issue you know what I mean? Right. And you, know, and you both are talking about two other strategies that I mentioned in my book. Um, first one is meeting employees where they are, you know, because every person is different. As mm -hmm. you, you were just saying, every situation is different. What one employee may need in a given situation may not be what this employee needs in a given situation. Right. And if we're going to have a conversation about something that you suspect, right, is going on, well, I talk about a strategy called constructive confrontation. It's an EAP term, but what it's saying is it's a conversation about, and it, it stays strictly on 
the workplace performance and workplace behavior. We're not accusing anyone of an addiction here. What we're doing is documenting what is happening to your job performance or your behaviors at work. And we're going to bring those up in a discussion. We're going to explain what happens if you continue the poor performance, right? And we're going to uh, try and come up with a plan for how to improve your performance. We're going to suggest that maybe you seek out some assistance if you need it through an EAP. Right. And then we're going to leave it up to you, the employee, to either, you know, just agree and and take the criticism and move on or use it as a platform to admit, you know, I have something else going on. Because if you admit, well, that opens the door for some understanding and maybe some accommodation that you may not have if you just stay closed. So if somebody's an employee current or otherwise maybe they're about to be hired on to a recovery friendly workplace is one of the things i'm just curious if this is one of the things you do but do you have people fill out sort of like a recovery like a relapse prevention plan type of form where they can uh basically tell you warning signs that they know about themselves like when i'm using you'll notice this and this and this so that they can kind of uh you know hold themselves accountable in that way where it would be easier for the leadership to spot it if there was something going on you know that's really up to the workplace what the workplace will allow with the policy and what really the managers come up with themselves of how they want to go about it i do talk about uh establishing some boundaries in my book Right. We let treatment buyers, you know, focus on treatment and we as managers in the workplace focus on what we need to in the workplace, which is performance and workplace behaviors. Um, anything beyond, you know, really in the gray areas, we kind of have to assess, does it stay here at work or do you need to talk about it maybe with your sponsor or right. with your therapist? You know, we don't want to cross too many lines for a lot of different reasons. Well, I would assume that if it's, you know, somebody's coming into a recovery workplace that they, you know, that it's known that they're like in recovery. Mm -hmm. And and so like if they are choosing to work there because it's recovery friendly, that that would be like a form that they would fill out when they're completely of sound mind and when they're not messing up, you know, just like, hey, you know, this is part of what this is you know like this is a supportive environment for me to work in where people can uh recognize you know if things are going on with me and they're willing to help or i can call myself out but see that's the thing when we get when we slip we ain't trying to call ourselves out for shit <laughs> you know so but like when we take that job uh -huh. we're more than happy to fill out a form that tells you what kind of weird shit to look out for Mm -hmm. And, the, you know, thinking that it's never going to happen. But then if it does happen, mm -hmm. now you're now you're armed with this uh, because so many people are so different. You know, maybe be it their substances or their quirks or whatever, the, the weird shit that they do when they get right. under so the there's, influence. There's some some things. Let me break it down a little bit. So even though recovery, there's, you, you know, recovery friendly workplaces and recovery supportive workplaces, there's two, but there's also, they still have the same requirements 
as a typical job, like, mm -hmm. and, and substance use disorder is a disability according to the ADA. So um, if it's affected your daily function, like there's, there's specifications and you really can't require, um, the only thing is if there's a program like a reentry program or there's like, you're getting the job, like maybe if it, there was a peer partnership where like between say, drug court and something where you don't have penalties if you start like there can be specifications that way but as far as an employer just you know that's putting additional expectations on someone that's actually like really highly illegal um but you can teach you know like if there's a program you, you know you teach rap and you teach them how to use it in the workplace and you you teach someone that that's a prevention tool to do right. it when you're your right frame of mind and give it to somebody within your organization that you trust. It doesn't have to be the boss. It doesn't have to be HR. It can be, you know, the person two cubicles over that has a son that struggled and somebody else that's in the recovery part of it. Yeah. I, you know, cause I wasn't thinking either that it would be like, I thought it would be a good idea in my head, but I was thinking like more on like a, you know, like a volunteer basis, like you don't, you're not required to give us this information, but it's if it would make you, but if it would make you feel safer, you know. But what those do too is that's when you're in a crisis and you're in the workplace, sometimes they have to do things to make it safe for everybody else and also to be safe for you. But when you do it in your right mind, you tell them how you want it done. If you get in that crisis, it doesn't mean they have to avoid it. It's I, I, you know, if I do this, this, and this, I need you to suspend me or I need you to tell me I can't come because mm -hmm. I, I, or if I do this and this, I need you to ask me what's going on because the next step is this, this, and this. Or if I break the rule, I need you to call the, the police because that's what I need you to do so that I know you're going to do that. Or if I break the rule and I need to go to treatment, please don't cancel my insurance, let me go to treatment, but I understand I won't have a job. Like it looks different, but you know, like, so we have to be, you know, understanding that workplaces also are businesses and they have to be safe and they have to be, mm -hmm. so there, there's both of those. Yeah, Jason, like to what you're saying, you're, you're asking if the employee can come to work and disclose any basically about their addiction and signs to look out for. Employees can really disclose anything they want at their own discretion, you know, on a voluntary basis, as you're saying. The recovery-friendly workplace is not by any means going to require it, right, for a lot right. of the reasons that Ashley's yeah. saying. But when an employee does disclose certain information, in my book, I talk about learning when to that those boundaries that, okay, I can help you with this, but this you actually need to go seek help from an EAP or right. you need to go talk to HR about that, you know, because I can't help you there for many reasons. Confidentiality, number one, right? HIPAA, uh, another reason, you know, we there, there are many reasons that go into why certain things can't be talked about in the workplace. But yeah, an employee is always free to disclose anything at their own discretion. Yeah, like for the sole purpose of, uh, you know, making it, recognizable so that it can be caught quicker you know mm -hmm. and then obviously you need to go to treatment or you need to go figure your shit out straighten yourself <laughs> out you know right yeah. right i know that when i was working i remember telling my boss hey when my ego 
starts to get inflated, that's <laughs> a sign. So look out for that. But if that was my norm, like, what was she looking out for? <laughs> so that's, that's very good. Part of being recovery friendly is that it doesn't, like I said before, it doesn't mean that you'll accept behaviors in the workplace, but it means that you won't cut off their insurance so they don't get treatment. It means if you see the signs, you offer them the option to go and take a month off medical leave to go get treatment and come back before anybody notices anything. Um, it's like, I mean, I see it all the time. There's doctors and nurses that are in active addiction and they can't disclose and they can't take the time off to get treatment. And and some of them know that it's going to either they're, they're going to lose their license eventually because they're they're doing the work not in the best frame of mind or they can disclose and lose their license that they worked forever for. And it's an impossible situation. And so recovery friendly is really about not putting people in that situation. I want to clarify one thing too. So recovery friendly workplace is a project, a statewide project that I'm working on um, that is setting up the workplaces, right. To become recovery friendly, the training program that I'm developing with the nonprofit, it's called recovery friendly leader. Right. And what it's doing is so the recovery friendly workplace says that, hey, you can have the workplace that values and supports these employees in recovery. The nonprofit program recovery friendly leader goes to the managers and supervisors and says, now that the workplace says you can, this is how you can. Right. We take it to a, an advanced level like, OK, so you work in a place that um really has a culture of diversity, equity, inclusion. So what recovery friendly leader does is we go to the manager and supervisor and says, how are you exhibiting diversity, equity, inclusion? Are you soliciting for their feedback, right? From all your employees, including the ones in recovery, are you valuing the opinions and the contributions that they bring to the team, right? Are you refraining from stigmatizing language, right? So recovery, Friendly leader is really looking to get deeper into the managerial, the supervisor level, and really show them that, okay, the workplace says we have DEI. Are you leading that by example as well? So I'm really excited to, you know, we're officially a 501c3 now, and and awesome. we are, you know, still developing what this program is going to look like so we can deliver it to as many people as possible and really help uh, many, many employees, you know, what regularly makes me excited about it is there's so many programs that are dedicated to the employee in recovery, right? right? So we're helping employees in recovery directly, but this program is getting it from 360 degrees now. So now the employees are getting help. We're going to help you the other way through your managers and supervisors in the workplace now, right? So you're going to get support them to all around. There should be no reason why you can't just walk into recovery and stay in that path. Yeah. And, and hopefully soon. You know, like I'm a person long-term recovery. You know, what are you in recovery for? Everybody's in recovery from something. Right. So if, right. We, if you build leaders that are inclusive about recovery, maybe yeah. the, the conversation doesn't single us out. Maybe it, being in recovery is how we belong. Right. Right. Everybody's hopefully working it'll on be something. a nationwide thing soon, man, not just a statewide thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
you have a hard state. You have a hard state because of all the, you know, it's like there's a lot of where, you know, because of the legislative changes, which, you know, like great, but it makes policies for workplaces hard. It makes their, the lines blurry. Um, so it's, it's really brave that you're, you know, doing it in that state and commendable. You know, the attorney general of Colorado actually just a few weeks ago, I believe, um, has given a stamp of approval for these recovery friendly workplace um, initiatives that we're we're trying to to give off. In fact, I think the White House in July sent out a press that they're encouraging more states um, to start their own recovery friendly workplace initiative. So it's pretty cool to have the government's eye on this and backing us up. And guess who's going to be the one that they want to teach these other people who want to do it there, John? The person starting the programs. (laughs) This guy. This guy. (laughs) People in recovery based on presenteeism. Does anybody know the stat on versus the normal employee? How many less days of work they miss than the typical employee? (laughs) It's a lot. I guarantee it's a lot. I wrote it and I forgot. I think it's like 50, 50 something. I don't know. No, it went in one year. Yeah, it was I know it's twenty six point five. I believe was the actual work days. Oh, see, I and thought it was twelve a year versus the right. No, so when you're in recovery, oh, 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 twelve less days in yes. a year than the the typical employee. So they're actually at work more than a yeah. a normal employee that hasn't had any struggles, which is a pretty. Mm-hmm great fact yeah yeah there's a couple of interesting facts like it's i think about 40 percent less in healthcare than employee and recovery costs right you just mentioned the work days um productivity increases are tremendous yeah in 2020 not a lot of time to make up for you guys (laughs) (laughs) well you know what it's like to lose your life and you like you don't want to lose that again so you're very like Plus, you're not like a lot of people aren't, you know, hangovers. There's not like maybe not, not the nightlife that you used to have. You're not out as late, so you don't miss her. Or, or it's just like, hey, I'm planning a vacation. I've never taken a, a long vacation before. Let me mm-hmm. not miss work so I can save for that. Or let me not miss work so I still have a job. Like it's just there's a lot of reasons, but it's they're great mm-hmm. stats when you're trying to talk to workplaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the uh, uh, one big stat for here in Colorado is they've seen an increase in the appropriate use for personal time off. You know, that's not calling out sick the day of or whatever. People actually putting in PTO <laughs> and getting it approved ahead of time. Wow, that's a big change. Yeah, <laughs> go figure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> about because... why you're off too, instead of lying like and building a culture. Oh, you know, I'm hungover. I don't feel like it. I'm sick. Like you build a culture, like you're telling the truth. Like yeah. you really are sick when you're sick or, yeah. or I'm, I'm well, taking care of this because I have this struggle, you know, sorry. Like I need to take care of this so I can be good tomorrow. I mean, it's just building a culture of honesty too. Right. I think well, I, integrity is super important in recovery. And then also, you know, it's like that whole concept of like impulsivity, you know, like, we have impulse control problems, but in recovery, we learn how to like recognize that stuff and control it better. So we're not 
making those spur of the moment random ass decisions to not go in and make up some story because it's got to look better because they never go for what I my real reason now that shit that's old behavior and we know that now so we got to try to get away from it yeah you know recovery for any leader really starts with three concepts first um i go through the first one is do you understand as a as a leader that all employees in a company have basic needs okay including those in recovery and are you willing to meet those needs because you understand it really sets your employees up for success okay the second one is in my as a leader to go off what you were saying jason do i have emotional intelligence do i understand that i have emotions as well and am i able to regulate them right to to manage them to control my impulses so that i can have really best decision practices and attitudes at the workplace and the third one is, do I work in a workplace that will support me in supporting these employees, the recovery funding workplace, right? The answer has to be yes to all three in order for any strategy that you're going to try to apply to supporting these employees for, for them to work, right? Um, leading by example is a strategy that I talk about because if I don't know as a leader how to manage my own emotions, if I get angry too easily, if I don't handle conflict well, right? How am I expected to help someone who's struggling with the same thing in their active addiction? Right? How am I capable if I'm not capable myself? So I talk about that a lot. It's really important, man. Yeah. You talk about how to have open conversations about stuff and hard you know how to handle the hard and uncomfortable i mean is the best way to say it yeah there's there's a strategy called um uh building a personal connection through vulnerability right so one thing in my recovery right as you were talking earlier ashley is vulnerability right learning to be vulnerable again because that's how i get helped um so can we really expect to tell our employees, you know, be vulnerable with me? You know, you can tell me anything and them do it. Like, can they really trust that they can? Mm. <clears throat> Especially if you don't handle conversations well, right? If you don't manage conflict well, if someone's vulnerable with you, do you think they ever will be again? You know, these are <laughs> these are hard things to to think about, but we need to think about them if we really want to do this work. So um, if I as a leader show them that it's OK and how do I show them by doing it first? Right. I can encourage these vulnerable and honest conversations by showing them how it's done and doing it first. Right. And that may take some time, but eventually they might pick up on it and trust and when they trust that they can do that, they'll trust any guidance that you can give. And I yeah. think, have you heard like the Brene Brown podcast about like vulnerability? Like a lot of people misunderstand yeah. what vulnerability and especially vulnerability in the workplace is. Being vulnerable isn't unprofessional. It doesn't mean oversharing. Like, what does it mean to you about vulnerability in the workplace? Like how, like, can you give an example of? Yeah. Hey, um, Ashley, can I talk to you for a second? You know, 
I didn't come into work on Monday. I know I told you was I was sick, but um, I, I'm an alcoholic, and that's why. That you know how much courage that takes to just do that sentence. That was one one of my conversations were like with with one of my bosses, and the thing about that conversation is, I even lied in that conversation because I wasn't drinking, but I was afraid to say addict because would I lose my job? Right. Like, what questions would you ask? So, it, the vulnerability it takes for someone to admit that they're struggling with a problem, that the courage and the strength it takes to do that is it's so much but if we let them know that it's okay right through through engaging in these programs right that the state is trying to give the recovery friendly workplace this nonprofit program recovery friendly leader right we can demonstrate to our employees that it's okay you know um we can have policies that not only talk about what happens if you use a substance at work, but what are the protections you get if you need help, right? And we can use words that are inclusive, right? DEI, we're talking about words that are inclusive. Addiction is an inclusive word. Mm. So it's 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 definitely um, vulnerability in the workplace is, is hard. It's also tricky because you don't you you're not there to you know, give the whole kitchen sink of your life, right? But there are certain things that you need to be able to admit at work if you want to be helped. And, and you talked about job. needs and everybody having needs and psychological safety <laughs> is a, a need that everybody, everyone needs to feel safe physically and psychologically and building a culture of safety um, is good business too, because I mean, it, it really is. You have more honest employees, you have more productive employees. Mm -hmm. um, even as a leader, just being like, I need to take off of work. I'm burnt out mm -hmm. and I'm, I've been drinking to, to handle my, my stress. And I really need to just take today off mm -hmm. combined with the weekend so I can come back and be fresh. Like that's, that's professional and that's being honest, um, and, and vulnerable at the same time and being a good leader. It, how many people can relate right to that statement you just said i'm feeling burnt out i need a mental health day right that's not specific to people in recovery right, right. that that's for everyone so what i'm trying <laughs> to do as well is really hopefully um put an awareness out there that these strategies they're they're really applicable to anyone someone needing a day off because they're burnt out or stressed out is anybody right yeah. all we're doing here is highlighting how it can benefit those in recovery and how you will benefit when they benefit. That's all yeah. we're doing. And I think yeah. it's great hearing like stories. Like we at mobilize, we heard a panel and um, you know, Jason can, he was there. The, they talked about how it improved morale for everybody, not just those in their, their in recovery in the workplace. It was literally yeah. like in, helped the whole workplace. It changed the culture. Yeah. Like it changed the entire culture of the organization from the top to the bottom, you know, and people were more connected as a result. You know, that was, that was a cool panel. 
I was like, that's an awesome idea. Just just like I thought it was such an awesome idea when I heard about like recovery high schools and stuff, like recovery schools and stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, yeah I, I really want one state to be the first state to give tax. I want it to be Florida, but we'll see. The first state to give tax benefits to businesses that um, are recovery friendly. And, and just do the educational. They don't even have to hire anyone in recovery. Just the educational piece is huge. But So that way they could give them some funds and then they could hire John to come and train their, <laughs> their supervisory staff. So New York and I believe New Jersey are doing that right now, the tax credits. For Cities. Huh? There's no, not a state yet that has it statewide. New York City is doing it, but not New York State. Oh, I, oh, okay. So, yeah, as of the last I knew, and that was a couple months ago, that no, there was no states that were, the whole state was doing it. Yeah, from, like, you know, it'd be really cool if you can it. get if you can get them to do maybe stipends or or scholarships or awards instead of a tax credit, because then municipalities and nonprofits that want to take part can benefit as well. Or yeah. subsidizing pay too, like you know, and there's also like protections if you higher vulnerable population that like the government will bond you. So it really is not a risk though, you know, to, to do it, but like, say you're a small business and you hire somebody in recovery and you can only pay, say, say you're, you know, it's a mechanic, you pay $10 and the state pays $10 of their salary. So you can hire them and take that risk because you're not absorbing as much of a cost as if you, but it, it benefits them because they can get back into the workplace and make, you know, they still mm -hmm. make a decent wage. So doing it that way too is beneficial to both. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's so many benefits that the workplace can get and, you know, having a tax credit is great. I just want to be sure that the focus is really on just, you, you have a good business when your greatest asset, which is, your employees that make up the business are just healthy and productive, right? Mm -hmm. So if that's your main focus, then enjoying these other benefits that come on with it are just, it's just awesome. It's It'll really just be a natural byproduct, honestly, if you're making sure that- Great word for it, byproduct, yeah. Everybody's needs are taken care of and that they're supported and healthy and they're more productive then and then they make more money, duh, you know? It's just a natural byproduct. Yes. Yeah. So there's a company and I was talking to someone tonight. It's a big company and they've been very, very prominent about recovery. They have policies in place to help employees um, and they have advocates. They've been very like worried about coming out as a recovery friendly workplace oh, because really? there's stigma and there's worry. And so sometimes if you're on the fence, where you do believe in something, but you're worried about your public perception, having that little financial benefit, you know, even if you pretend you're only doing it for the financial benefit, like it still helps, you know, and even if you have stigma and you don't believe in it, but you get, you make money off of it, eventually you will believe in it if you listen and, and really absorb it. And, and sometimes it's getting in the door. Like I, I mm -hmm. wish everyone had the heart you have and, you know, was willing to have that culture. And there's a lot of businesses that do have that culture, but there's a lot that are cutthroat and it's all about money. And yeah. you have to change their minds through the 
you have to go in the money way and then change their hearts and minds. Right. Because until they run the experiment, they won't see it. You know, they won't have that like practical experience with it and that tangible evidence in front of them and around them all the time that says, Hey, wow, this has really changed the way these people interact with each other. This has really changed the, the money flowing in here. All these different things are changing for the better. Right. But they got to step through fear. You know, it's just like us when we want to get clean, we got to step through fear and try to do something we didn't do before. <laughs> you know, that's hard. Let me use the example with your book. It, it's my last, you know, well, I'm just going to say $20. It's not, I, I mean, I have my last $20 and you want me to invest in this book because it's going to change my life. Mm-hmm. And it's my last $20. And I don't know, you know, it's really scary for me. That's everything I have. But if you tell me, Hey, I'm going to give you a discount and you only need to invest $3 in this book. Just give me $3 and you can still have 17. Like, I'm more likely to take the book and read it and be like, I would have given all my $20 because I believe in that. But it's scary at the beginning. Yeah. Um, So my hope is that just I continue spreading this message to as many leaders as possible, um, that the nonprofit gets up and running soon. And that we can really just help many employees who are just like me struggling to figure out how do I get sober and keep my job? Should I leave my job? You know, I remember talking to someone and them suggesting, shouldn't your focus be to retain as many employees as possible? And that was a good suggestion. I sat on that for a while and, you know, we don't want turnover, of course, right? But I had to stick to the purpose. And what's the purpose? To give employees the opportunity to enter recovery so that the business as well can stay healthy and productive. We want healthy and productive organizations, right, as a whole. And sometimes that means that putting recovery first might mean not working right now. And sometimes not working right now is better for the business. Obviously, that is not the first go-to. That's not what we want. But we really want to focus on just how do we how do we really help overall and not eliminate what that help could look like for either the employee or the business. Right. And these are hard choices to make sometimes. I Very hard choices. In recovery. Huh? I didn't work my first year in recovery, just in case anybody ever needs to know if Oh me either. Right. I'm right there Same. with you. Yeah, me either. I think it was a little over a year for me. And then I did. I got a good job framing. And then I was still, I still had the case, you know. So it was like not done yet. And then I couldn't get representation because I made too much money. So I had to quit my framing job and go back to being unemployed for like another six months until my case was completed and sentencing was done. And then I was able to go back to work because I got blessed with another chance by the judge. But I was like, holy shit, I couldn't believe it. I was super like prepared to go to prison. <laughs> I thought I was going for sure. So since we all do probably have to work tomorrow, as well, like speaking of that, if somebody believes in what you're saying and believes in your book, where can they donate? 
how can they they learn more and and where can they buy it and how can they support what you're doing it's available on amazon uh barnes and nobles or the publisher directly um i don't know how to will you post a link to my website it's right there yeah if you go to my website uh dr j um i have a page just for my book and it has links to where you can buy it um there's also a link that will take you directly to the nonprofit recovery friendly leader where you could learn more about our mission and how we plan to achieve our mission so i'm super excited that was and you could today. support and you could support the nonprofit if you so choose on that link um that page is coming up soon i will have a uh no there's a way to contact me if you would like to support the nonprofit we yeah. are yeah there's yeah, always there. a way. If there's a will, there's a way. Yes. <laughs> Even if it's just referring the training to another business. Yes. Like in the, in Colorado, say you're in that area. Like if you believe in this, get the training in your take the training as a leader. Get it in your workplace. Yeah. Refer it to your friends. You know, talk about it at one million cups or talk about it at rotary lunch or whatever you do, talk about it and that's support. Yeah. Absolutely. What's up, Brett? And and to also make it easier for people to find the book, I linked it. If you're on the Recovery Revolution Facebook page, if you click on the shop tab, the book is linked there as well. Very nice. Thanks, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> and even if you're not a leader in your workplace right now, get the book and prepare because everybody's a leader in their workplace. Mm. Yeah, buy buy a stack for upper management. That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> If you have, uh, you know, I'll wrap it up, but if you have one tip for a leader seeking a solution, you know, what would you, what would you tell them right now? If I had one tip for a leader seeking a solution, just keep an open mind. That's my one tip. It is so easy to know what the issue is and come up with the answer myself or discredit what the answer might be. Sometimes the answer is not what you think it is. It's not comfortable and it's completely mm. different to what you believe. Okay. And just most of the time <laughs> <laughs> and as a leader, it hurts to watch your people hurt. So, you know, like, you know, it's, it's a hard place to be. So, you know, keeping an open mind's hard. Let me tell you this, how I'm staying sober today is by doing things that I don't believe should be done sometimes and that I don't think makes sense sometimes, but I do it anyway and I'm sober right now. Dude, John, you're awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on here and and uh, I really believe in the work you're doing, man. I'll be praying for you and for your nonprofit. Thank you. I, I really hope that it it is blessed and it just spreads and you're able to really help a lot of people grow in their leadership. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. you for coming and let's get excited about recovery month. Maybe, maybe that'll oh, yeah. be a good month for businesses and leaders. September. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah, absolutely. Up. Thank you guys so much, so much for having me on today and to really just spread this message. Thank you. Yeah. Thank awesome you. meeting you, man. Thanks. Thank you, Dr. Do you guys thank do. you so much. All right, let's do the wrap-up stuff. 
It's your like time that. to shine, Brett. It is my time <laughs> to shine. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, please be sure to subscribe to the channel. Turn on your notifications so you know when we're live. If you guys haven't figured it out yet, it's every Thursday night. If you guys would like to send us a message, because we don't like this being a one-sided conversation, we like to hear from you guys as well. You can leave us a voice message at the address on your screen, speak-to.us slash RRL. Um, I still haven't set up those other graphics, but Jason, you have a, uh, a podcast. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, the Way Out podcast. Uh, we got like 306 or 307 episodes I'm really proud of the content that we put out. Uh, you hear some great recovery stories and get some hope. And then we even have topic episodes that we just unpack uh, important topics, common stumbling blocks uh, and things like that. Uh, and really try to make them more understandable for people. So I think it's good, good practical information that we're putting out there. I hope nice. you like it. and um michael paddleford there in the comments also just commented that he has a new episode of recover loud coming out for international overdose awareness day so be sure to check that out as well right on i i also do a recovery podcast i feel like everybody does one actually when are you gonna start your recovery podcast yeah i'm not (laughs) you ain't cool unless you have a recovery podcast do it uh, I also do a recovery <laughs> podcast called Recovery Survey. I release an episode every Wednesday. Not quite as many episodes as Jason just yet, but uh, episode 126 just came out yesterday. So check that out wherever you find your podcast. And if you guys are into podcasts and you want to take Recovery Revolution live with you on the road, we also release the audio version of our, of our interviews. So check that out on your favorite podcast player and subscribe to us there we're on apple we're on spotify all the all the major players um (laughs) man i don't know why that was funny (laughs) what ashley's comments in the private chat no when you i don't know just when you said all the major players i chuckled at that like it was john needs a podcast for an interview leaders yes do it Boom. Do it. <laughs> That'll be next to my agenda. Don't worry if you stay nice. around long enough, JR will give you lots of jobs and to do lists. Okay. And I'm running out of music. Oh no. Have a good night, everybody. Have good a good night, night everyone. Yeah, remember sleep well tonight. And remember progress, not perfection. Not perfection. All right, guys, we'll see you next Thursday. Bye.